Hello, listeners. Welcome back to a new episode of the Students Beyond Borders podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and today my co-host Amber and I sat down with two alumni of our program in Haifa, Israel, Jade and Brendan. We chatted with Jade and Brendan about some common misconceptions of study abroad in Israel, the impact a positive mentorship can have on a student's personal and professional journey, and how alumni can give back to USAC and pay it forward to future students through scholarships. Are you ready? Let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Students Beyond Borders podcast. My name is Amber Ayton, and I am thrilled to be here today with our guests, Brendan Henry and Jade Wright, both alumna and alumni of our USAC Haifa program, and also scholarship recipients and a scholarship donor of our Discover Middle East scholarship for USAC students going abroad to Haifa. So thank you guys so much for being here today. I'm wondering, would you mind just kicking off with introducing yourself? When and where did you study abroad? And also, would you mind introducing yourself in Arabic or Hebrew? Sure, I'll start us off. My name is Jade Wright, and I studied in Haifa, Israel, the summer of 2013 and the fall of 2013. I think to introduce myself in Arabic, it's Ismi Jaid, and I can say Ma Asmuka to Brendan. Hello. So my name is Brendan Henry, and I'm originally from St. Paul, Minnesota, and I moved to Las Vegas when I was 14. And after graduating from high school in Vegas, I attended the University of Nevada, Reno, where I studied um, international affairs and had a minor in Arabic. And I studied abroad in Haifa, Israel from September 2019 to June 2020 during my junior year at UNR. And currently I am almost done with the first year of my master's degree in Arab studies at Georgetown University based in Washington, DC. And I'm also interning at the US Trade and Development Agency uh, Global Procurement Initiative. And this experience basically enables me to learn more about global and US procurement practices and helps bolster US exports by working with our partner countries and teaching them about life cycle cost analysis and best value determination investment practices. And then to introduce myself in Arabic, I would say, Marhaba Ismi Brendan, Ana Takharaj to Min Jamiat Nevada Reno, Wal Al An Adrusufi Jamiat Georgetown. And that just means my name is Brendan. I graduated from UNR and currently I am studying at Georgetown. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Welcome to you both. So to get started, why did you choose Haifa? Brendan, I feel like you could maybe start us off because of what you're doing right now is so closely related. Um, what, What were you looking to explore? So the main reason I chose Haifa was actually the exposure to the Arabic language that's offered through their program. They have an intensive language program. So I took Arabic class every single day of the week, Monday through Friday, which I loved because I just wanted to be exposed to the language as much as possible. And then also I was able to live with Arabic speaking roommates. So I had my own room, but I personally requested that my roommates would be Arabic speaking so I could get as much exposure to the language as possible. And it was nice because, you know, you would go into the market, speak Arabic, practice your skills. And then there was actually a little uh, like lafa shop, falafel stand. And I would go there every day and I would always order the same thing. So it actually helped me reinforce all the foods and like how to say those because I would just see them and be like, oh, I want this one. I want the peppers, which is like fill, fill. And it was just a really good way of like ingraining the language into my experience. And then the last thing I would say about that is you can also take dialect classes. So I was able to take 
Palestinian Arabic during both of my semesters abroad. And that was really awesome because there's just like some little differences in the language that stem from the Fusha, which is the modern standard Arabic. And it's cool to see the similarities and differences in between those two things. Thank you so much, Brendan. Jade, what about for you? Is your mission to Haifa very language heavy like Brendan's was or was a, a little different? Yes, I, I think Brendan and I have very similar experiences in why we chose Haifa and why we went there, which I think is one reason why we connected so well. Definitely the language. As you know, USAC only has one program that offers Arabic language speaking and Haifa has an intensive Arabic speaking course, which is phenomenal and also very, very challenging. So as Brendan mentioned, it is every single day, all day long, very rigorous homework for hours after going to class and you're with a cohort of people. Uh, so if you start with beginner level Arabic, you're with that same group of people likely for two months and then into your semester. So some of these people I know every single day for six months, and it was really great because we got to practice speaking with each other, doing homework with each other. I also chose to live with Arabic speaking women. I shared a dorm room with a Muslim uh, woman, for about four months, and then a Druze, which is a predominant community, a religious community in the Golan Heights. And so I got to live with her for a couple months as well. And so again, just to reiterate what Brendan said, being able to live and immerse yourself with Arabic speaking men or women greatly helps your ability to learn the language. Also, Jada just triggered my memory. Something I wanted to add on that point is Speaking about the Druze community is because my grandma is actually Druze and she's from Lebanon. And so she didn't actually share much with me about like um, her history and everything before I went. But as I was there, because the roommate that I was living with is Druze, she opened up to me a lot about our like family history and like just taught me a lot about the Druze community. And I got to interact with them a lot. And there's actually like a little Druze village that's like maybe five minutes away from the dorms. And so I would definitely recommend anybody that studies there to go shopping there because it's way cheaper than going into town and it's only like an eight minute bus ride. So it's really get in touch with the Jews community. It's good connection. <laughs> there was also a, when I was there, I'm not sure Brendan had the same experience, but we had a field trip to the Druze village in the Golan Heights. So we were able to see firsthand how the community there lives and interacts with the Syrians and the Israelis because they're on the border of Syria and Israel. It's a no combat, no fight zone. And so we were hosted by a local Druze who had us over for food and tea and taught us about his community. And it was a very unique experience that I'm not sure anyone would be able to have if it weren't for studying abroad in Haifa. I second that. That's really fantastic to hear. And I think oftentimes, you know, language is really helps break down those barriers. You say it's an experience that people likely wouldn't have if they hadn't studied abroad in Haifa, but I imagine having experience with the language and knowledge of it really helped you dive even deeper into experiences like that, immersing in local communities, meeting with this man on that field trip, all of that stuff. I'm wondering for both of you, I imagine, yes, but it sounds like while pursuing 
an education in Arabic was maybe for some personal reasons, like you, Brendan, with your grandmother, but also how did that tie into any professional goals you had at the time? If you had any in mind already when you studied abroad, how did Arabic tie in? Because I think sometimes people hear Arabic studies and think, why, what am I going to do with that? You know, it doesn't come to top of mind as a really common language, but in fact, over 400 million people speak Arabic worldwide. And so I'm curious to know if what your plan was for that back then when you studied abroad. Yeah, I can go ahead and start. Unlike Brendan, who is, I think, in a, in a position where he is, you know, using his Arabic, maybe speaking skills in his graduate program, which I'm very proud of him for getting accepted and getting scholarship to that. It's a very prestigious program. But for me, I had full intentions of using my Arabic in my career. I wanted to study national security, anti-terrorism. I was heavily interested in the foreign service through, you know, the State Department and working in Middle Eastern countries, whether that be for the government or NGOs, providing aid to women in the Middle East. That was my intention and goal when I was studying at the University of Nevada. It went a little bit of a different path, I'd say, and it's okay. But I, I had applied to some other critical language scholarships to learn Arabic and to try to further my Arabic education. I was unsuccessful, but Brendan was successful. And I, I think he should touch on that a little bit as well. So because I wasn't able to further study Arabic and my career went a different path, but I still went and worked for the U.S. State Department and got to travel through to a couple different embassies, but I was more working for uh, database implementation and I kind of got on this project management information technology path that I loved. I then used that experience. I now support the U.S. Navy doing information technology, networking implementation, and I'm a project director there. So I don't use my Arabic speaking skills anymore, but I also support the Navy and the government in, in our peacekeeping efforts. Well, those are really awesome experiences. Thank you for sharing those. For me, using Arabic, I've gotten to use it in my grad program at Georgetown. So all the grad students in, in the Arab Studies program are required to have advanced high level of Arabic proficiency by the time you graduate, which is basically fluent and is a really high standard. So I think that studying in Haifa really helped me prepare for this because I was able to enter the program at a really strong level where I didn't have to start from a beginner level of Arabic. In addition to that, I want to become an Arabic linguist for the federal government after I graduate, whether it's in the Department of Defense or another agency. And the skills that I learned there and also just the cultural competency that you gain from being firsthand on the ground, living there, you experience this conflict firsthand. It really helped me develop that firsthand perspective. And so I could definitely attest to why like the Arabic program at Haifa was very helpful for my Arabic skills. And Brendan, can you touch on how you think, you know, because I know going to Haifa was your first Arabic intensive language program, but how did that help you get your critical language scholarship and you're a born scholar? So maybe tie in a couple of those things and just educate people on how one study abroad program can also help you get other scholarships in the future. Yeah, that's a really great point. So I also received the Warren Scholarship in addition to the Discover Middle East Scholarship. And then I also received the Gilman Scholarship and the Fund for Education Abroad Scholarship. 
And so you're an all, all time superstar. <laughs> Brag about yourself a little bit, Brennan. Come on. <laughs> um, He's incredible. You guys are so nice. Thank you. So all of those scholarships were really helpful to me because they helped me fund my time abroad and also just opened a lot of doors for me that wouldn't have been open otherwise. So one thing that you get with the Vorn scholarship is that you have to complete a year of mandated service. They preferably want you to work in one of the intelligence communities or state department, something of that nature. It's nice because it, you get non-competitive eligibility with some of these scholarships like the Bourne and the Gilman. And this non-competitive eligibility helps you actually get like a one-up in the hiring process when you're applying to jobs because the jobs in the federal government could be super competitive. So having that non-competitive eligibility really helps you get a job. And so after I graduate from my master's, when I'm applying to jobs with that, it's going to make it much easier for me to get into the federal government and start the career that I've been dreaming of with Arabic. That's really fantastic to hear. I always think it's fascinating to listen to our alumni's journeys on where they started, where they are now, how studied abroad tied into it. And things like scholarships are a really, really big piece of the puzzle. And not only USAC scholarships, but external scholarships always are such a great tool to help students open doors, help them find opportunities that you probably never would have you know, found or maybe even heard of without those scholarships. So it's really nice to hear that you're finding success from those yeah. and that you, know, you have really embraced that opportunity and use it to propel yourself forward. That's that's wonderful. And I imagine that we're just going to keep hearing wonderful things from both of you, <laughs> Thank you far beyond this podcast. Yeah. Another point that I just remembered too, is I would recommend to anybody that's applying for the USAC scholarships to work really at the time I was there with Sonia and she was very helpful to me in like drafting my scholarship essays. Cause it's kind of a scary process if you haven't really applied scholarships before, but she really was helpful. Our USAC has, does a really good job of that. And then also those scholarship applications can kind of help you prepare for other scholarship applications. Like you were saying, you can kind of rework those prompts, tie it into the next scholarship you're applying to. Because I also was able to apply for the critical language scholarship that Jade was mentioning earlier. And I actually got that twice and I got to study, unfortunately because of COVID it was online, but I got to study in uh, Morocco twice virtually. And that was really helpful to my language goals as well. I also just wanted to point out, Jade, thank you for sharing previous to Brendan about how it's it's okay if your official original career path that you chose shifts a little bit, right? We hear that a lot from students. And I think that that often happens when students go abroad. They think maybe they want to do one thing and then decide to do another. So um, really glad that that opened doors for you as well. Thank you. Absolutely. Our next question here, I'm wondering, between the two of you, could you maybe describe a day in the life in Haifa? You know, dorms, um, host family, how close were you guys to the Mediterranean coast, things like that? My typical day, you wake up very early when you're taking Arabic. So I would say I would wake up around like 7 a.m.-ish. And then I would walk about five minutes over to class because the dorms are located right next to campus, which is awesome. Because right now in DC, I have to commute about 50 minutes just to get to class. So I definitely miss being in Haifa and being able to walk five minutes to class. And the other nice thing is the view is amazing, like from the school. And it's honestly like I would wake up and see the ocean from my dorm room. It's an unmatched experience. Like I really recommend you go. So then after class, I would probably have about class for... Arabic for a couple hours. I would also have my other classes on top of that. And then after that, I would go meet some of my friends on campus. There's this coffee shop called Aroma, which was my favorite place to go. And I feel like everybody would just kind of like hang out there. There's also like a little patio area, sit out there. 
And then after that, come back home, make dinner. And I would really take the bus a lot. And there's, cause there's a bunch of little like restaurants and stuff that was right next to campus. And also just about a 30 minute bus ride downtown. And so the falafel place I was talking about earlier is really the best spot I recommend everybody go to. And then come home and just um, get ready for school the next day. And then on the weekends, that's also really fun. There's so many things to do, um, so many places to visit and also just traveling on the train. I think I traveled every weekend. We would go to Jerusalem, we would go to Tel Aviv. There's um, Elat, which is like kind of like a little resort village. I think that pretty much sums up a day in the life of Haifa. It is gorgeous. The campus is is located on the top of Mount Carmel. So you are overlooking the Mediterranean Sea every day. And I think that is the one thing I miss the most is the view from the the campus, just looking at the ocean. And, And I live in San Diego right now, and I'm saying that. So it definitely is unlike anything I've seen before. 10 years ago, I was studying there and my recollection is a lot of school. Part of how I got funded for my study abroad is the more credits you got, the more money I got. So I really had a packed schedule on school. So I was in school pretty much all day. And then in the evening, I joined a local women's uh, rugby team. So I would, I'd have to walk down to a different bus stop, take the bus to get picked up by one of the girls who played rugby with me. She would pick me up there and then we would go play rugby at the Technion, which is another technical college in Haifa. And we would, you know, practice there and then I'd come back and do homework (laughs) and prepare for school the next day. So it was very academic and intensive. That's actually a really good point. Like just to stress, like it is really academically intensive, but it's a good thing because it's one thing to learn about these conflicts, like why you're domestically here in the night in the United States, but when you're abroad and you're learning about like these conflicts between Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, like, and you can actually see from your room in your dorm, like, oh, Lebanon's like 50 miles that way. And then this is that way. It really brings everything into perspective for you. And I also would just like harp on Jade's point about joining a group like rugby, because I feel like that's a really good way of making friends, which is like really important. And I also interned at the um, shelter for battered women and children. So I was able to go to that about 10 hours a week. And I would go, I think three days a week. And you get to meet, work with a lot of local people and reach out to them. And I would hang out with them outside of class sometimes too. So it was a really great way of making friends. Yeah, there are a lot of different ways you can get involved with the local community. One of the biggest challenges I had was making friends. And I I think I tried to do a lot to open up my community of friends, but it was still challenging. You know, joining sports, that was definitely my way to connect. There was also a soccer team that played uh, every Saturday on campus, which was awesome because you didn't have to go anywhere. That was a little more intimidating because (laughs) they take their soccer very seriously in Israel and it was all men. So there were like two females who would join every weekend to play, but that was really fun just to, you know, get exercise and again, see a different part of what the Israeli culture really values and, and soccer is one of those things. And volunteering, yes, they. I think the University of Haifa offers many different volunteering activity places for people. Uh, it might even be required. I'm not not sure what those requirements are now, but I did that as well. 
Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Also, another great way of making friends I just thought about is there's a class called Model United Nations, which I took. And that was the main way that I got to interact with locals because you're really with your cohort while you're out there. But if you branch out and join these extracurricular groups, like the Model United Nations, and I actually got credit for it. Like we even got to do a conference. It was really cool. And you really develop these relationships with the local population and make really long life-lasting friendships. Like I'm still in touch with everybody that I was friends with there. And I've even visited some of my friends. Like I went back to visit one of my friends in Paris. And then I've had friends come stay with me back home in Vegas and then visited even one of my other friends in Houston. So definitely make those friendships, those relationships, like they last forever. And Brendan, did you participate in Model UN or Model Arab League at the University of Nevada? I did actually. Yeah, we got to um, go to a conference in San Francisco and we actually represented Yemen. You know, they have a huge humanitarian crisis going on there. So it was nice because I got to take those skills and then apply them abroad as well. And those extracurricular activities, volunteering, the organizations, the sports teams that you can join do so much to enhance your study abroad. I mean, as you guys are saying, you clearly know what I'm talking about, but it does so much. Like you said, you make friends, you learn more about the culture, you immerse more, you seasides of the city that you might not have ever gotten to see you know exploring the hole in the wall places the local gems you practice your language you make connections that stay with you for a lifetime I think it's really easy for students to kind of bubble into their cohort or their roommates or you know their immediate circle and never really branch out because they don't need to but seeking out those types of experiences are huge for in my mind a study abroad transformation so it's really great to hear that you guys both got involved with a ton of stuff on campus. And boy, it sounds like you were really busy. You were definitely more busy than I was when I studied abroad. So I applaud both of you for such a jam-packed and what sounds like a successful study abroad. Thank you. I am curious, Brandon, I'm going to put you back in the hot seat for one second. I saw an amazing photo of you on a camel. I was like, speaking of incredible experiences and how to get involved and just busy in your study abroad location, tell us more about that specific picture. What was that about? Yeah, so that picture on the camel was actually, I took a trip to the Dead Sea with one of my friends on the weekend. And the nicest thing about it is like, so one, the Dead Sea is super cool because you get to float in the sea because the salt content is so high. But to ride the camel was actually only three shekels, which is probably equivalent to about uh, around a dollar and 10 cents now. And they had a bunch of camels just light out. And there's also just like other gas stations where you might pass by um, when you're in Israel. And like people will just have camels and like they'll let you ride them for really cheap. And it was so much fun. And he was like, stand on top of the camel. And I was like, are you sure? Like, uh, and I got on top of the camel and I didn't fall. So I'm happy about that. And it was just, it was really fun and it was great. I love that you just went for it. Like that would have been so out of my comfort zone. (laughs) It was very out of my comfort zone at the time too. And I guess that's one more piece of advice I would give to people. Be open to new experiences. I I rode on a camel. I stood on top of a camel, something I never thought I would do. I also went paintballing while I was out there. And that's just like not something that I would ever normally do, but it was so much fun. And you just make memories that last forever. That's a wonderful segue into our next question. We'll start with Jade first, Brennan, since you just shared a little bit of some of your memories, but what was your favorite memory from study abroad? That's a tough question. I think when I, you know, I reflect back, uh, on my you know, my experience, one of my favorite memories was probably traveling to Jerusalem, the city, you know, the holiest city in the world, 
and it's deeply rooted in culture and religion in conflict and having just a little bit of background into why the three religions are sometimes at war with each other but being there I had no idea what to expect and so I think traveling through the old town of Jerusalem and even other parts of Jerusalem and visiting the museums and eating the food and seeing the churches it was just beyond anything your imagination could come up with because it's so old you're seeing you know guards with guns are you know you have to pass them every single day it's just you would never be able to comprehend that in in your mind and even watching it on the news you see it and so I think going there and experiencing that multiple times too. I think it was really important to go at different times of the year um, as well. You get a completely different vibe. If it's the Jewish high holidays, that is an, you know, an incredible experience. If you're going around Ramadan, that is also an incredible experience. So having that opportunity and just being able to see it firsthand, I think was one of my favorite memories. I'm really surprised because we have the exact same favorite memory. I was going to say going to Jerusalem was also my favorite part because, you know, I grew up being raised Christian and to see all of these sites and like, you know, put a kind of like a face to the name in a sense, like you see where Jesus got crucified, you go to the church, the Holy Sepulcher. And for me, like it was a really touching moment that just like changed my life. I walked into the church and I could just feel something strong, something was there and it was it was mind changing and Jerusalem is just so beautiful and seeing all the different quarters, the Muslim quarter, the Christian quarter. And there's also really good shops and the marketplace there is amazing. You can buy different scarves. My, I had a friend actually come out and visit me and he was bargaining for like a, a chess set. And that's actually kind of the fun part about it too, is you get to bargain a little bit and put those skills to test and just make sure you get the best price for stuff. And it's really fun. And they expect you to barter too, because it's kind of scary to do that at first, but then they're like, oh, like you can't just take the first price they give you. It's going to be like twice what it really should be. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that, you guys. So on the flip side of that coin, and Jade, we'll start with you. What was your greatest challenge while you were abroad in Haifa? I had a lot of challenges. I'll be honest. You know, for those who don't know, I worked at USAC prior to going abroad. And so I was very familiar with the study abroad procedures, with hearing what to do, what not to do, how to prepare yourself. And I had spent years since high school preparing for studying abroad and saving money to go abroad. So I had really high expectations in my head that I was going to be so successful And I had incredible advisors and mentors who prepped me for it, but I don't think I was prepared for the hardships at the same time, you know, for the loneliness, for the homesickness that you get. This was my first time away from home. I was born and raised Reno, went to college in Nevada. And so I think that was really challenging. And you are kind of isolated at first, those first few months while you're getting integrated, you don't come the first day and you're like, I'm on a soccer team, you know? So it takes a while to get into those community groups. And once you are, it's phenomenal and amazing. But that kind of that lead up time to get there was certainly challenging for me. And I had a hard time connecting with locals, connecting really with people also who are studying abroad Americans or other foreigners, because I 
was not Jewish, you know, I'm not Muslim and I'm not a devout Christian. So I kind of came in, I wasn't studying Hebrew. I was there for Arabic. I didn't fit the stereotype of a lot of other students who were studying there. And I felt like sometimes you would be on a bus and people would ask you why you were in their country. And when you explained to them, you're there for Arabic and not Hebrew, they would yell at you on the bus. And it's not their fault, you know, but that was your experience. So you have, you know, locals who don't know you at all kind of mad at you because you're here and you're not Jewish and you're not there to, you know, learn their language. So I felt like in a part that was really challenging until I was able to get my, my feet wet and build those connections and relationships. I would definitely second what Jadis mentioned right there. It is so hard to deal with the feelings of homesickness and being lonely when you first get there, because it's really hard to put yourself out there and like reach out to these groups of people, but you just have to do it. This is why I say, say yes to everything and try these new experiences because it can be really helpful in making these new experiences that you wouldn't have had before. Another challenge that I had dealt with there is just like some of the cultural norms that are just completely different than what we had. The first one I want to mention is because you're not going to have a car while you're there, so you have to take the bus. But on Fridays, the bus actually closes really early. So if you're planning on traveling, and if I'm not mistaken, it either completely closes or just closes very early. And if you have class, you know, then that's your time to catch the bus. You can't miss class. So if you don't leave, usually Thursday night, if you're planning on traveling, you can't actually go anywhere unless you Uber or pay a taxi, which is super expensive and you don't really want to do that. And then another cultural norm that was hard to get accustomed to was Israeli people are very blunt and they will tell you exactly how they feel about anything and everything. And they have this hand gesture where they kind of like pinch all their fingers together. And it's not meant to be rude or anything like that. It's just a hand gesture that they have that would be considered rude here. So don't take that personal if anybody does that to you. And it will make you a little more straightforward, which can't be bad. So yeah. I'm just going to expand on uh, Shabbat challenges that also, I think, enhanced the sense of loneliness at times because on your days off when you're not in school you're alone and that was your time to explore but you have to plan ahead because no local transportation for Shabbat so you know you uh, have to go to the grocery store at certain times and if you are going to plan a trip you have to have that all figured out a couple days in advance and there's no shopping on Shabbat there's nothing to do so you're maybe you may be stuck in the dorms with no friends and have to figure it out and so that's something to be aware of and obviously after you're there for a few months you get the hang of it and come up with a a plan but that was uh, hard to adapt to at first yeah and that's why I would just stress like make friends with your cohort because most of the people live in the dorms so on those days where it's like lonely and there's Shabbat you have like a group of people, like you're all in that together. And then you find things to do. You go hiking. Like there's literally the most beautiful hike on Mount Carmel right behind the dorms. And it's literally a five minute walk. So you can do that on those days. You can find things to do or even split a taxi with friends. So that way you guys can go out into the city and do something on those days where there isn't transportation. And those are just really helpful ways of coping with those feelings of being lonely and homesickness. Yeah, I think sharing that mental load, so to speak, with your cohort and your friends can be really helpful talking about homesickness. 
you know, talking about the struggles you've had with culture shock and differences between your host culture and culture at home, any of those new things that you have to learn, it's really helpful in my experience, of course, and I'm sure majority of other USAC students, any study abroad student would say, it's helpful to have someone there by your side who's going through it as well. And then also, like you just said, Brennan, to explore on the weekends with and to, you know, keep yourselves busy while you're handling all of this culture shock and homesickness and all of those things too. And then obviously just to make friends and have fun, right? But those connections, of course, will really help, I think, get you through these struggles that you guys are talking about for sure. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Also speaking of connections, it's good to keep in touch with your family on WhatsApp. I actually was like working on a blog while I was out there for my fund for education abroad scholarship that I received. And I feel like that was a really helpful way of keeping my family in the loop when I couldn't necessarily call because there was like a 10 hour time difference. So at the end of the week, my family would always read my blog. I would send it out to all my friends. So like everybody could keep up with me and see what I was doing. And the phone plans out there is really cheap. I think it's like $8 a month or something compared to here. So that's a great plus and helps you stay connected to everybody back home. It's great. I blogged as well when I studied abroad for that specific reason of sharing it with my friends and family. Yeah, to a combat the times difference, but also so I wasn't having to tell the same story to yeah. every <laughs> single person I talked to over and over and over again. It, it was a really great way to a, stay in touch. But then also now I have a big log of memories to look back on and it allowed time for reflection and you know to look back at how far I've come and all of that stuff. So that's really great to hear that you did that too. I know you had to do it for a scholarship requirement but it sounds like it was beneficial. So moving on, we just chatted about some challenges and maybe that this next question plays into that a little bit, but where were some misconceptions you had about the Middle East before going abroad that turned out to be completely untrue? I can start on this one. I think my biggest misconception about the Middle East is because, you know, when you're watching the media, it seems like it's almost not safe to live there. Like it almost seems like you're going to be living in a war zone, but this really was not my experience in Haifa. And I never once felt that my safety was put at risk. I felt very safe and welcome there. And then I'm also a gay Black man. And I had some concerns going over there about being part of the LGBTQ community and living abroad. But to my surprise, Israel is very gay friendly. And especially in Tel Aviv, I would travel out there a lot. And it's very much so a gay hub and for a lot of events and things to do. And it's very accepting. And it was a really great experience. And it really deconstructed some of these misconceptions that I had had about the Middle East before. I know my mom was super worried about me living there, seeing the news and everything, but I would just tell her it's not as crazy as it may seem on the news, at least from my experience, like studying abroad. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Brendan. That was the biggest misconception for me as well. And to hone in on, you know, your mother's concerns, my father was very concerned and was at first very anti me going to Haifa because of safety. And as a young woman, I was 19 going over there first time again, out of my hometown, he had a lot of concerns about the region and the hostility that that region brings. Uh, So a few ways to also mitigate those concerns for parents and for students is USAC one has their own health and safety advisor that they can talk to about any safety concerns of any country, but also the University of Haifa met with my dad virtually at 6 a.m. our time so that he could have a face-to-face with the staff there to go over all of his 
safety concerns. Now that is a little extreme. My dad is next level, but at least it got him supportive of me going abroad. And at the end of the day, that's all I wanted. And then once I was there and told him how safe it is, you know, you start off by getting on a bus. And then everyone there has, it has to serve in the Israeli army. So, you know, no matter where you're around, you're on a bus, a train, walking around, there are armed guards everywhere. The campus itself has its own guard. You cannot get through the guard without showing proof of ID that you're a student there. It's very secure and I never once walking around at night by myself or taking local transit by myself did I feel unsafe. And that says a lot for a 19-year-old female. Yeah, I completely just once again agree with what Jade is saying because I actually would say that I felt more safe walking around there than I do here in America. Like it is so safe and there's guards everywhere. Even just to get into the dorms, you have to one, get through the gate security in the front and then you have to get through the dorm security. Just always have your card on you that shows that you're a student. I would always take that with me everywhere. And I feel like Americans are received very well in Israel. There's pretty good relations between our two countries. So I think people are pretty excited to actually like meet Americans and have conversations with you and just be really open and honest about what's going on out there. Thank you guys so much for sharing those misconceptions. I think it's incredibly important that A, you guys went to your program extremely prepared and asking those questions and leaning into, like you said, the USAC resources. We have an amazing health and safety team um, that just keeps growing, uh, which is fantastic. And also just making sure that you're being honest with yourself, right? We have to take into consideration our safety everywhere that we are, Brendan, like you mentioned in the US, we have to be concerned about our safety. Um, And so thank you for instilling that confidence and to students who are listening to this podcast right now, maybe share this podcast episode with your parents if they also are having concerns. I would also consider a resource since Jade and Brendan are sort of our experts at the moment and really had this incredible experience that they otherwise weren't really expecting. So thank you so much for sharing that, you guys. Pivoting a little bit, I'm wondering, we already spoke a little bit about how going to Haifa prepared you for your career, but I'm wondering if we could ask you guys a little bit more about the skills that you learned over there, hard or soft skills, if those are applicable to your careers today, where you guys are at. Yeah, I'll start. I think studying abroad and the skills that you do obtain, I'm going to talk more about the soft skills of being able to adapt to any environment that you're in to, again, put yourselves in maybe outside your comfort zone and excel to prove to yourself what you're capable of doing. All of these skills you put into practice, you may learn them, you know, in high school and maybe in college, but studying abroad is your chance to put them into real life practice and prepare you for your next career or job interviews. I often use study abroad, maybe not anymore 10 years later, but I did use study abroad as several examples of how I overcome a difficult situation, how I worked with people of different viewpoints. Israel, you are living with a Muslim, with a Druze, with a Jew, with a Christian. How did you guys cook dinner together? Or you're in a class with U.S. students, Israeli students, French students, German students. How do you all come together and and be able to put a, a project together for school? 
So these are all activities and things that you learn that give you experience and how to navigate situations that you will have to navigate in your professional career. So that's one thing. And then two, just being able to be agile. Right now in my career, this is a, a huge thing I, I see with my colleagues and people I interview is the inability to be agile and adapt environments are changing constantly. I'm in technology. Technology changes constantly. And when I'm uh, interviewing candidates to work on my team, I want them to be able to adapt into their environment, you know, to be able to change directions really quick on their feet. And that's exactly what you have to do when you're abroad. So anyone who can learn those skills and throw themselves into that environment can apply it to their professional world, whatever career choice that might be. Thank you for that, Jade. That perfectly ties into my answer as well, because this skill that she's talking about with being adaptable and agile and being able to move around. So I actually was studying abroad right when the COVID pandemic hit. So I was in Israel about seven months. And then in March, 2020, we actually had to be sent home. And I was the type of person to always plan everything out to the T. Like I was like, oh, this has to happen this way. I'm going to have this by then, this by that. And that experience really taught me to kind of just go with the flow more and just keep my big picture in mind, which for me is learning Arabic. So I'm like, this is what I want to keep doing. And it had taught me how to work around and just really be agile and open to change. And then another thing, Jade also mentioned this point is just really, it forces you to have to put yourself out of your comfort zone and you're creating a new life and a language and a culture that you're unfamiliar with. And so these are skills that translate because you're going to be in a work environment that you're unfamiliar with. You're going to be dealing with people of different cultures, different backgrounds, depending on what you're doing. And so all of these skills that you garner while you're abroad can be really applicable. And also they really do help you answer interview questions. I know I would also talk about during my interviews, they often ask what's the biggest and greatest challenge that you've overcame. And I say moving to Israel and starting a new life and it looks really good to employers and it's a really good skill to talk about that you can translate onto a resume. You guys have all the right answers. <laughs> I think <laughs> all of those bullet points are some of our main biggest advantages of study abroad are soft skills that you can learn. It's almost like we told you to say that, but we didn't. So they, thank you for sharing that. It's great to hear that you've been able to pull from your international education experience, not only with your Arabic language studies, but also your academics, but then those soft skills, like you talked about, the adaptability, people skills, you know, learning to communicate with people. Those are all huge. And those are things that employers and researchers are seeing younger generations and newer employees struggle with is that sort of thing. So it's really great to hear that study abroad has helped you develop those skills and maintain them and carry them on through your professional careers. So good job. Yeah. Also just, you, I forgot hard skills as well. There's tons of hard skills that are applicable to that as like with I mean for me, like the language has been an incredible tool in opening doors for me. And I have no doubt that I will be able to find a job like after graduating because Arabic is one of these critical languages that the federal government, and not just the federal government, like consulting firms. I know we have consulting firms come to our program and ask about people that can speak Arabic, and they offer really good salaries. So I really recommend if you're going to study, like go study a critical language, and it can really like result in a big boost in your salary as well. Like I know the State Department also pays people more for speaking one of these critical languages, and Arabic is one of them. Absolutely. Thank you both. Jade, I wanted to jump back to you and chat about your 
ongoing relationship with USAC. So if you could share about the Middle East scholarship, the process for funding it, what it even is, how you're involved with it, all of that good stuff. Yeah, so my relationship with USAC goes back a while. I started as a high school intern where I was getting credit in high school because I was interested in Middle Eastern affairs and international affairs. And so this was where I got placed and I never left. (laughs) So I was able to get hired as a high school student and worked there all through my time at University of Nevada. And then obviously studied abroad and I was able to come back and apply some of that experience to USAC. So then when I went off to DC, And I worked in the government and started my career. I always, you know, felt like I wanted to give back or volunteer in in some capacity, but I didn't want to necessarily change my career to going back into international education because I love what I do, but I also love international education. So instead of trying to pivot my career or have a career that was focused on international education, I came up with an idea of creating a scholarship that meant something to me that I felt like I could, you know, give back to where I had the most challenges with is financing study abroad. And luckily USAC was able to work with me to come up with a scholarship that meant something to me that we were able to identify our own requirements. So, you know, all the eligibility requirements are what I chose what I valued, what I was looking for in candidates, and then USAC was also able to match my scholarship, which was a phenomenal donation contribution from USAC, and now we have this ability for students who are focused on the Middle East. Hopefully one day we'll be able to, USAC will have more programs other than Israel, but right now that is the only program that USAC has. So it's a way for students who are trying to go to the Middle East and need a little extra funding to help them get there. Thank you so much for your giving back in your continued work with USAC. I know that we all appreciate it very much. And it's something that we obviously hope to have grow and expand to other programs with more alumni, you know, as our years continue. Why in your mind are scholarships important, but specifically why was it important for you to establish the Discover Middle East Scholarship? You know, I really, I wanted to give to a cause I truly believed in. And for me, it all comes back to what is the biggest cause or belief, you know, in generating peace. Again, I all come back to being in the Middle East and fighting for peace and for those who are less fortunate than us in in America. And so I really believe one way to do that is through kindness, spreading kindness through the world. As we've discussed here in this podcast, one of those ways to create empathy with others is through studying abroad and learning about others' cultures and religions on a deeper level than just reading about it in a book is through international education or just traveling abroad for that matter. But I think that the more people can go and live in a place that is not America to meet those people face-to-face who are of different religions than you, different backgrounds, lifestyles, they eat differently, all of that stuff, then the more kindness you're going to have towards that person and more kindness you'll have towards those who are in your own country and also be able to appreciate America more as well. We're so critical of our own country here, and it causes so much conflict within our own borders. 
you know, last few years in our own country, it's been awful what people are doing to each other on the streets. And so I think it all comes back to being able to accept others for their differences. And, you know, education abroad is, I think, one way to facilitate in generating kindness with others. That's a really great perspective. And it's an attitude that we hold here at USAC as well, that international education is a tool to connect with others. Like you said, spring kindness, more awareness of the people around you and generosity and building those connections, breaking down those barriers as opposed to putting up walls. So it's great to hear you say that as well. One final question on the scholarship in your role. What would you say to other alumni who are looking for ways to either give back to USAC or pay it forward to future study abroad students like you have with this scholarship? I would suggest to just do it. Go for it. It doesn't have to be monetary, though. Another way to give back is through volunteering for scholarship review committees. And I know USAC has a plethora of scholarship committees that I've sat on. And so they have their own, but other scholarship organizations, one such as Fund for Education Abroad, which Brendan mentioned earlier, I've been on their review panel for a few years. Just volunteering your time, it's very simple. It's maybe once a year, twice a year. And Through that process, you are giving back, but I feel like I always get a lot more than I'm giving during those uh, review processes. You get to hear stories of young people who are excited about the world, who are sacrificing a lot to go abroad, and it just continues to make me inspired about the, the people you have coming up in the world or in the workforce. I think oftentimes I walk away from reviewing these scholarships and say, they influence me. You know, they inspire me to work harder. They give me new ideas about what's out there in the world. And I, I just always walk away feeling really excited and happy. That's absolutely incredible. Thank you again to you, Jade, for establishing this wonderful scholarship for our Haifa students, our Middle East students going over into that part of the world. I especially love that you talk about opportunities for alumni to give it back in multiple ways, right? It's not just treasure. It's not just, you know, donations. It really is time and talent. I would say connections too has been fantastic. And I know we'll talk a little bit about your and Brendan's mentorship a little bit later, but yeah. So just thank you for establishing that and for encouraging other alumni to, to get involved, whether it's with USAC or um, as you said, other organizations, Fund for Education Abroad or other organizations who are establishing funding opportunities. Funding continues to be the number one barrier to studying abroad. So thank you. Thank you. And then Brendan, for you specifically, continuing with the Discover Middle East Scholarship, what did that mean to you? Yeah, so first off, I just want to thank Jade for the scholarship and for all that she's done for me. Of all the scholarships that I've received in my life, this one has been the most meaningful to me. The scholarship really changed my life because not only was I able to fund my trip abroad, but I also gained a mentor in Jade. We've kept in touch often and we talk at least two to three times a month and she always provides me with the best career and life advice. For example, Jade previously lived in DC and she helped me locate good areas to live in that weren't too far from Georgetown when I was making my decision to attend the university here. And for me, no matter what happens, it feels nice to know that Jade is always in my corner and is always helping me figure out my way. 
And it's now my goal to also make a scholarship like Jade has done. And I would love to continue and help USAC as well when I start making big boy money and can actually, you know, give back. And Jade has just really inspired me and it's just so helpful. And we've been in touch for over like two to three years now. And I'll be like, Jade, I'm so stressed. Like, I don't know if I'm going to find an internship. She's like, it's going to be okay. Apply to these internships. Just send me some stuff. And she connects me with other people. And she's just been amazing. And I'm so grateful. And words can't express how much I appreciate everything you've done for me. Oh, that warms my heart so much. <laughs> Thank you. But I feel the same. It's it's a mutual relationship. I feel the same towards Brendan. Like every time I get on the phone with him, he inspires me to do better in my job, to continue to be a mentor to others. And I'm just so proud of him and everything he's accomplished. I just walk away so happy every single time. I just cannot wait to see what the world has in store for him. It's been an honor. And, you know, it just reminded me, Jade actually sent me a Georgetown sweater. And I got it when I first arrived here. And it was just so nice because, you know, your decision to go to grad school, it's a really hard decision. It puts a lot of burdens on you financially as well, too. And she sent me the sweater and it just made me so happy. And I was like, you know, I have people rooting for me. Like she's rooting for me. And I, I always talk about Jade to my family. And I'm like, she's the best scholarship donor I've ever met. I've never kept in this close in touch with a scholarship donor in my life. Like usually they just give you the money and walk away. But Jade like really cares and she has made an effort to be a part of my life and I can't wait to the day we can actually meet in person. I know, crossing my fingers, it's this summer. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, Amber, you're trying to talk about mentorship and in my life, I have been able to get to this level of success because of the mentors I've had. And I cannot give my mentors enough credit on helping me, guiding me through career decisions through difficult work decisions. You know, I chose not to get my master's helping me make those decisions. And I do want to give a quick shout out to USAC's Cami Alfaro because she has been in my corner. You know, she is what I have been to, to Brendan. And if it weren't for her, I don't know where I'd be today. Thank you both. Way to end on a note that makes me want to cry a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's fantastic to see that you two have built such a strong relationship. Jade, like you just mentioned with Cami, have such a strong tie with USAC still, personally, professionally, through mentorship, through scholars. All of these different avenues really are a testament to how strong the impact of study abroad can be, how strong the impact of scholarship funding can be on students. And then like you're saying, just having someone in your corner rooting for you is huge. No matter where you study abroad, when you study abroad, what type of student you are, what your goals are, that's a really big piece of success for sure. Like you just mentioned, Jade. So thank you both. Yeah. And thank you for answering my last question. That was what I was going to ask next. So there's one more thing too. I just thought I want to add. It's just like, I really can't stress when I first got Jade as my mentor, I was a little worried. Like, I was like, oh, I like, how do I, what do I ask her? What do I say? But it was just so natural and so easy. And you just really like have to remember, it's like a person at the other end and they're there to help you. And you can't be afraid to ask for help and ask for advice because Jade has given me like life-changing advice and it's helped me really navigate because the federal government career process is very complicated. And just having her there makes it so much easier. And it just makes my line of sight clear and gets my head thinking straight when you're doubting yourself when I'm dealing with imposter syndrome. She just like reminds me that like, you know, I can do this, I'm doing this and that it's going to be okay. And 
I'm just so grateful. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Brendan. I can't wait to see where you go. Me too. <laughs> I always believe in you. So thank you. <laughs> Such an incredible story to hear you both trusting the process, right? And then you have to put the time and energy and work into a mentorship, a relationship, friendship, all of that. And I can hear so much value in what you guys have created. So kudos to you both in continuing that and to rely on each other and to get so much out of this, you know, this working relationship is just really incredible to hear. So kudos and congrats. And then Brendan, I think you rolled us right into our final question of giving advice. So what advice do you have for students who may be or who may not be considering going to Haifa? Do it. <laughs> Definitely they should go. It's a life-changing experience. I say going for a year was really awesome. The only challenge is going for a year is that you make friends during the first semester that most people only study abroad for one semester or a couple months. So it's hard to like, you know, see all your friends leave and then you have to make a whole new set of friends. But it's just part of the process of meeting more people in, I would say, study abroad for a year. It's how you get the most out of your experience. You're never going to have anything like this again in your life, for most people at least. And the last piece of advice that I would give is the health insurance is great. I used it a lot while I was out there. Kind of a funny piece of advice, but the healthcare out there is really good. And I was able to, because I have asthma and eczema, and I know some people are probably like worried about some health concerns going out there, but I think it's this can kind of help relieve some of those anxieties. The health insurance is great. Definitely recommend it. And yeah, that would probably be the best piece of advice that I could give besides saying, don't say no to anything. Those are great tips. Thank you. Jade, what about for you? What advice would you have for students who are considering or not going to Haifa? And I think also speaking to the benefits of studying in a non-traditional location. Yeah, I say just follow your heart. If a, a location is speaking to you, an experience or opportunity is speaking to you, follow your in intuition, follow your heart and make it happen. Work a couple jobs, apply for those scholarships, try to get financial aid, find other opportunities maybe that are a little bit cheaper. You know, even if you can't go for a year because I know that's financially could be challenging, go for the summer or go for just one semester. But if it's in your heart and you want to do it, then try to find a way to do it. Yeah. Also, just to add on to that is if anybody listening to this podcast, like needs any help or wants to learn more about how to get some of these scholarships that we've talked about here, just needs help with their application. I'm more than happy. They can reach out to you guys for my contact information because I was able to get a really good amount of scholarships. I was really blessed. I didn't have to worry about the financial concerns as much because I was just really blessed with scholarships. And so if anybody needs help in trying to get any of those scholarships, I'm more than happy to help. Same. I would be more than happy to review scholarship applications before you send them because it is important that you spend time <laughs> uh, working on those statements and verbally expressing everything that you need to, to express in those applications. And they're not always easy. I'd be happy to lend a hand and review before submission. Well, thank you both, not only for that offer, but for joining us today for this wonderful discussion. It was so nice hearing from you about your experiences and learning more about the relationship that you two share through USAC Study Abroad and through the Discover Middle East Scholarship. It's been a real treat today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. Thank you guys.
Thanks for listening to the Students Beyond Borders podcast. If you have questions about USAC study abroad or would like to suggest an episode topic, email us at studyabroad at usac.edu. You can also send us a DM on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok at studyabroadusac. To explore program offerings, scholarships, and more, visit our website at usac.edu.